Good morning. Thank you so much for being here and for worshiping with us today as we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave. It's good news that we get to share and declare. And in many ways, this whole concept of the idea of Jesus being risen is so important for us to get. It's an important thing for us to understand. It's an important thing for us to get. And so, because in one sense, um, it's not just something we need to understand, but it's something we've got to get to our, in, in our soul. Because if we get the resurrection right, it changes everything. But if we don't get the resurrection right, it jeopardizes everything. And there's no space in between. So the question is, do you get the resurrection of Jesus? Do you get it? Do you understand it? And I say that not because I want anyone to hear to feel bad, but it's important for us to understand what Easter really is all about. Because it's very easy for us to get confused and to kind of maybe lose track of things in the midst of this Easter time. And see, because at Easter, right around this time, we have, you know, we have the Easter bunny thing, right? And we have the candy thing. And then we have the, you know, the eggs, which you're like, how does bunnies and eggs work? I don't know, but this is what we have, right? So we have the egg thing, and then you, you know, throw in spring break as a part of it. And then though there's the, the you know, the, the nursery sale at Fred Meyer, you get that in there. And then, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And then somewhere in the midst of that, Jesus comes out of the grave. But then if he sees his shadow, then there's six more weeks of, you know, well, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's easy in the midst of all the stuff that's going along to kind of miss what Easter really is all about. And so today I get the opportunity to declare to you just the good news, the good news of what, what Easter really is all about. And fundamentally, Easter is about hope. That's what Easter is about. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little extra hope right now in my life. I can't remember a time in our world in which we need hope. And you feel it. I feel it. It feels like in our world, things are just starting to fly apart. And so we need hope. You are all aware, of course, of the, the conflict that's going on in Russia and Ukraine. And it's heartbreaking. But did you know that's not the only conflict that's going on in our world? That there's over 20 different active wars on our planet right now? And the casualty rate just continues to go up by the thousands. And of course, because of all the conflict and all the things that are going on, there are refugees that are fleeing by the millions. I checked in this this past week. 4.8 million people have fled uh, Ukraine year to date. That's a whole lot of people. And I'll tell you what, there's not a single plan in all the world to know what to do and how to meet all the needs of those refugees. And I'm talking about war and I'm talking about conflict, but I haven't even started to talk about the, the war on drugs, which has been going on for a long time, and it feels like it's a losing battle, doesn't it? There's other things that are, we just need hope in because there's, there's struggle. We live in a time of unprecedented economic uncertainty, you know it, you go to the grocery store, you're like, wow, it's not there. Or why does it cost this much? Or you go get gas and you feel this sense of um, uncertainty about our future when it comes to the economy. And of course, we're on the, you know, the second year of a global pandemic. And regardless of what you think of it or how you think it should be treated, we all have to recognize the fact that there's now several million people that are dead as a result of the pandemic. 
And there's not a single person here that that hasn't touched in some way or another, personally or in your family or through your friendships. But it's not just a, a, a mental, uh, sorry, a, a physical health crisis. There's a mental health crisis going on right now too, isn't there? We're an unprecedented number. Where there's a massive challenge of, of mental health crisis and challenge, and we feel it personally. We feel it in our families. We feel it in our friendships. I could go on and on. And I'm not even talking about the natural things we face, our own personal crises, tragedies, challenges that we just naturally face. And so we are living in a time where we need hope. We need hope. And any thinking person stops and asks themselves, well, what is it that I'm laying down as a foundation that I'm putting, building my life upon so that when things that are and come into our life and forces outside of my control sweep through, how do I know I can still stand strong and confident and with hope to get forward into the future? That's a great question. And so today I get to declare to you the good news about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because fundamentally, it is about hope. And I declare this good news, but the truth is, it didn't start out as good news. In fact, it started out as, as, as tragic news. In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see several women who are um, devastated, and they're grieving, because Jesus has died, and they're going to a tomb. But it's in this moment that they encounter a risen Savior. And it changes everything. So what I want to do is I want to look at that passage because it gives us hope too. And so I want to read it for us together and then we'll come back and we'll take a look at it verse by verse. But let's stand together. Matthew 28, if you have your Bible, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you receive that handout on the way in. Um, The passage is printed for you, but let's read this passage together and hear the good news, the hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says this, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. After the Sabbath, that is Saturday, um, at dawn on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, so this tells us that they're going on Sunday. That is the third day. These two women, they're going to the tomb. And it says that there's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And you may say to yourself, well, well, how many Marys are there in the Bible? And I, there's a lot. 
I, I heard one guy say that you cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a Mary in the Bible. And in certain sense, it's true. Mary was a very popular name in this time in, in, Jewish, in Jewish culture. In fact, I heard one historian say that 25% of girls were named Mary at this time. And it was a popular, popular name. So um, I'm not going to spend time detailing all the Marys. But I, what I want you to recognize and know and see here in this verse, which is so important to recognize, is this. That Jesus first, uh, the good news is first declared two women. That's what I want you to see here in this verse. The good news, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is first declared to women. And this is an amazing thing. This is a powerful thing because in this era, um, women did not have equal status. In fact, in this era, women could not testify in the court of law because it was assumed that they would be lying. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to appear to these women. I want to honor these women, and I want their testimony to be declared. See, it's these women. They were the last ones. The, the, on the, on the, the day Jesus was crucified, they were the last ones to leave Calvary on that day. But they were also the first ones to show up at the tomb on Sunday. So Jesus says, I want to honor you. I want to reveal myself to you, declare the good news to you, and you are going to be testifying it. It's a powerful thing that I just can't skip over because it's so incredible. And in this time period, especially amazing because Jesus elevated and, and empowered women. And this is a, a, just a clear uh, statement of that. Now, these women are going to the tomb, it says in the passage. And we know from other historical documents that on the way to the tomb that morning, they were debating, you know, how, how are we going get, to get, get to see Jesus? Because there was a giant stone in front of the tomb and it weighed hundreds of pounds. And so they're debating, you know, who's going to be there to help us? move this stone. And the whole point of them coming was to bring spices um, to, um, to, you know, kind of lay around the, in, on Jesus in the, in the tomb. And this was before, or actually this time period in the Middle East, they didn't, they didn't embalm people. So these spices, in all honesty, were just kind of to be there to kind of overwhelm the, and cover the stench of death. And so that's why they were coming. And they were coming and they were wondering, you know, who's going to roll that stone away and that was part of their one. They're like, I'm not, they're not, they weren't quite sure what to expect. They certainly were not expecting Roman guards there. They didn't know that, a, that a, a, a batch of Roman guards were there to guard the tomb. So they were not expecting that. But of course, these are things that they weren't expecting. But of course, what they do encounter, they by no means were expecting. Look at the next verse. And it says this in verse 2. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Next verse. He appeared. The, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Next verse. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. These verses are actually, to me, a little humorous in some ways because there's so much irony that's taking place in these verses. It begins with the ground shaking, and then we have the guards shaking. So we go from an earthquake to a manquake. That's what's going on here, right? And then here's the funny things, right? Here's the, these Roman guards who are alive, but they look like dead men. And then we have Jesus, who they think is dead, but is very much alive. Do you, do you feel the irony there? That's what's, that's what's happening here. And then, of course, we have the angel. Now, 
At this point, we have to kind of admit, we don't know everything that's going on here. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I haven't chatted with too many angels in my life. And so this is just one of those moments where I, I certainly, if I'm encountering an angel, I'm hoping that he says the same words that he says to the women on this day. Look at what he says. It says, the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. That is, stop being afraid. Don't worry. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. So the angel says, hey, don't worry. I'm so glad he said that because I would be worried too. Or don't be afraid. I'd be afraid. But he says, listen, I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus. And you're looking for Jesus in the grave because why? He was crucified. And here's what I know about crucifixion. It kills people. Right? I mean, people when they're crucified, they don't walk away. Oh, I'm just really tired now. No, you walk away dead. I mean, you don't walk away at all. You're dead. That's it. It doesn't just make you tired. You die. That's the reality of it. In fact, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified by Roman soldiers who are professional executioners. And so when they pulled him off the cross, they certified he's dead. And they know dead. And these women, they were the ones that wrapped the body. And so they were with Jesus after he died. And guess what? They knew. He was dead. Because why? Crucifixion kills people. And so the angel's saying, hey, I know. I get it. You're looking for a dead Jesus. But guess what? Because he was crucified. But guess what? He's not dead. He's risen. And that's what he declares in the following verse. Look at this. It says this in verse 7. Um, or sorry, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. So this is great. He says, oh, sorry. Stay at verse 6. He is, he is not here. He has risen. And then notice the, the, that other statement, just as he said. See, Jesus, in his life, many times said, hey, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised to life. Now, the disciples didn't get it. And in some sense, we have to cut them a little slack, right? We, we can't condemn them too badly because they'd never seen someone predict their own death, and then come back afterwards, right? And we haven't either. And so it's a little difficult for them to comprehend. But the angel gives the explanation. Listen, he, he's, he's risen. He's not here. But then I love in this verse, the, uh, not just the explanation, but the invitation. He says in, verse, in this verse, he says, come and see the place where he lay. So Jesus isn't here. He's alive. But hey, come look for yourself. Come look into the tomb. He's saying, come investigate, which I love that the angel does that. Because God still does that with us as well. He's like, hey, you can come and see. You can investigate. You can come check it out. Check out the truth claims of who Christ is and what he has done, his words and his works. And I think that's an encouraging thing for all of us because there are people here who are, who are skeptical. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're uncertain. Maybe you're like, there's no way. The angel's just saying, come check it out. Come investigate. You're skeptical? Hey, come take a look for yourself. Come and see. And let me say, say this. There was no one more skeptical at this time than Jesus' own followers. They were very skeptical. And yet they get the very same invitation. Come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. Look at the next verse. It says this. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now 
I have told you. So he says, go, go tell the disciples. Help tell, come them to come check it out, to come and see. And he tells these ladies that, you know, you're the ones that get to spread this message, but here's the message, and there's three claims that I want you to see here in this verse, and we'll take a look at them together. The, the, the three claims that these ladies are to go share with the others is, is this. The first one is this, that he has risen from the dead. This is a big one, right? This is what they get to share. He's risen from the dead. This is a big one. None of us have, you know, encountered death and come back to talk about it, right? But Jesus has. He has defeated death. So it's important for us to just stop and to focus on that for a minute. Even though in our culture, we don't like talking about death, do we? In fact, we go to great lengths to avoid talking about death. When someone dies, what do we say? We say, they passed. Don't ever ask, passed where, right? Because it might make that, uh, that conversation quite awkward because people don't want to talk about that. We, 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 we go through great lengths to say, hey, I don't want to um, talk about death and, and use those, those terms and those words. In fact, we have a, a game called life. I play that game with my kids. Ever played that game before? Right? We have a cereal called life cereal. You've had life cereal? Have you ever had a bowl of death? <laughs> no. Because that cereal is not going to sell very well, is it, right? That's not going to work. So we avoid using those words. In fact, just think about this. We sell life insurance. Well, how do you collect on life insurance? You die. And guess what? You don't even get to collect on it. So we don't sell death insurance that someone else will clean up on, right? That's not what we sell. It just doesn't work. And so we avoid this, this statement of death. But here's the clear statement from the angel. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive. He, feed, he defeated death. So let's talk about it. He's risen and he's risen indeed. That's the statement that the angel makes, that the first claim that they're to declare. Here's the second one. And he's going on ahead of you into Galilee. So he's going on ahead of you into Galilee. That is, um, Jesus is not here. Physically not here. And he's going to be there physically in Galilee. And this is an important statement as well because this helps us understand that Jesus is risen physically in reality. Because for many people who are uncomfortable with this concept of, you know, Jesus, you know, being resurrected, they, they come up with all sorts of different ways to explain it. You know, well, you know, it's not really that he was resurrected physically, but of course the disciples, they, they just really had fond memories of him, and so they cherished him, and so they just, they held on to those, and those were the things that they held on to. It's like he was still there with them, or, you know, we loved his teaching, and his teaching they treasured, so it's kind of still in their hearts. So in, in, a, in a sense, it's not that he resurrected physically, but it's more of a, a figure of speech. But this passage says, no, it's not a figure of speech. He's not here. Physically, not here. He's physically going to be there. And this is important to understand because when you look at the followers who were following him at that day, they were terrified. They were huddled up. They didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, they were transformed. And they were boldly declaring that Jesus had risen from the grave. They went from terrified to transformed. And the question is, well, what did that? Was it a figure of speech? Or did they meet a risen Lord? 
How is it that they went from wanting to be huddled up and hiding to being ready to give away all their possessions, to give up their property, and even to voluntarily give up their lives for the risen Savior? That they said all these distinctions that we've been holding on to, we're going to let those go. It's no longer about rich or poor or male or female or Jew or Gentile, slave or free. It's, everything is transformed now because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Their life has been transformed. And those initial followers were willing to voluntarily lay down their life. And in fact, for decades following, the followers of Christ were also willing to lay down their life voluntarily. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't for a figure of speech. It's because Jesus is risen, and he's risen indeed. And they didn't give their life thinking that there'd be a metaphoric resurrection in their own life as well, but a real, true resurrection. This is the second claim that he makes. The third claim that they're to share is this. There you will see him. There you will see him. He's saying, listen, you'll get to go check it out too. You can check this out. Come and see that Jesus truly has risen from the grave. And the question is, so did the disciples go check him out? Did they go and see? Absolutely, yes, they did. They wanted to see too. They wanted to see that is Jesus really, has he really risen from the grave? And, you know, we don't have all of the, uh, all the historical encounters of Jesus after he had risen from the grave with different people, but we have a number of them. We have, of course, Peter, who denied Christ and afterwards fled. He didn't, he didn't want to hear the name of Christ. He was just filled with shame. And all of a sudden, he meets the resurrected Lord, and his life is transformed. We have the two who are walking to Emmaus, and they were, they were defeated. They were like, it's all over. Jesus is, is gone. All these plans that we had, the hope that we had, it's all over. And all of a sudden, they meet the resurrected Lord, and their life turns upside down. It turns around. We have the disciples, they're all huddled up, scared, terrified, in horror in a place. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, the risen Savior. And they're transformed, no longer hiding, but they're declaring the good news about Jesus to other people boldly that Jesus has risen from the grave. The only guy that wasn't there was Thomas. And Thomas, right, he, in spite of all the testimony of his friends that they'd seen Jesus alive, said, no way. There is no way I'm going to believe that Jesus rose from the grave until a week later when he meets Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. You have the Apostle Paul who also encountered a risen Savior and his life was transformed. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the fact that there's over 500 people who encountered Jesus, a resurrected Jesus And it's interesting in that statement because he says there's more than 500 people. And by the way, many who are still alive. So he's inviting them to check it out too. You don't believe my testimony? Go ask them. They'll tell you. They saw Jesus alive. And so this is the whole point. The point is this. The the claim here is, listen, you can check it out. You can see Jesus is risen and he's risen indeed. Then the next verse. So then the women... They hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And so the women, they're afraid and they're filled with joy. How does that work? Fear and joy. How do those mix together? Well, 
Try sitting in my job for a little bit and officiate a wedding. Look at the couple. Guess what? You see fear and joy, right? (laughs) You see a little bit of this look of, what have I just done? And at the same time, there's all this joy and excitement. Look at our adventure that we get to live in life together. That's it, fear and joy. These women are filled with all all these mixed emotions, and that's the reality. And so they're running away, and they're, they're hurrying off to tell, about, to the, tell the other disciples. And then verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. So this is so great. They're on their way. And Jesus shows up, and he says, hi there. I know, what's up? And it's really that casual. I think we just have to sometimes take the Hollywood lens off. And this isn't some moment where there's like, you know, ominous music and smoke and special lighting and you this deep voice, greetings. No, it's Jesus saying, hi there. I mean, it's just Jesus. And I love that because here's this resurrected Lord who's still approachable and relational and personable. It's so great. He says, hi, I'm here. And he just wants to connect with them. And then notice their response, because their response tells us something about Jesus as well. They clasp his feet, helps us understand he's physically resurrected. And they worship him. That is, they point to his deity, and he receives it. So he knows he's God. He, he receives their worship. So he's fully man and fully God. And now, the, look at what happens next. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So he gives them the same message. Hey, don't be afraid. Um, Go and keep on with that message. Go tell the disciples that you've seen me. Tell them the good news. And it's interesting because Jesus says, go tell the disciples. But he doesn't use the word disciples in this verse. He says, go tell my brothers. And this is interesting. By the way, the disciples were the ones who betrayed, abandoned, deserted him in this moment. They're all hiding. Jesus doesn't say, I want to get these guys together because I need to get even with them. He doesn't. He says, I want to see them. And he doesn't use a formal title, my disciples. He uses a familial title, my brothers, family. And it's the first time that Jesus does this. What helps us understand something about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That because of what Jesus has done, his death and resurrection, he's opened a door that was not open there before. He's made it possible for us to be brought back into the family of God. And this is good news. Now you may be saying, well, wait a minute, aren't aren't I already a child of God? Yes, by creation, all of us are Children of God, that is, he's created us. He's our father in that sense. But all of us also have this sense, this awareness that there is a barrier between us and God. That there's this this distance and there's this part of us that recognizes deep down that we realize we, on our own, don't have peace with God. That we don't have a certain hope of eternal life with God in and of ourselves. There's, there's, there's this barrier there. And it's a universal problem, by the way. But the good news is God has a solution. So let me just for a moment share with you the universal problem that we all face, but also share with you God's solution. The universal problem that we all face is this. The first thing is this, that there's this separation 
The first word is separation that I want you to hear and see. Separation, that is, when we do something wrong, we know there's a barrier. When we sin against someone, when we do something wrong, there's a barrier that takes place. And we feel that there's a separation between us and God. Where there's what God wants and here's what I've done. I've kind of gone my own way. There's a separation that, that takes place. And it's, it's part of us when we really think about it, when we say, well, I want God to know me, but I don't want God to know everything about me, right? I mean, there's certain things, God, I don't want you to know. Because there's just a part of me internally that knows if you know this stuff, it wouldn't be good. That's separation. And it's a result of the second problem, which is sin. Sin. There's a principle at work in all of us that is a, we have a sin problem. That we fall short of, of God's standard. That we live our lives in, in rebellion and rejection. We do things that we don't want to do or we know that are wrong. We end up sinning. And it's not just something that's inside. It's also something on the outside. That's why I have sin. But also I want you to see sins. We also sin against other people. If you're, saying, if you're sitting here saying, I don't think I have a sin problem, well, let me just ask the people who know you well. My guess is they could point out a few things. Because this is the, really the sad part about sin. Our sin, we end up hurting the people that we love the most, don't we? We end up damaging and hurting the people that we care about, the people that we, that we live with. And that's the hard part. And the question is, why does that happen? And it's, it's because of slavery. Slavery. That's the, the third word I want you to see. This sense of slavery. And this is really a sad reality that many of us face. That we, we come to a spot and we say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. But go, what do we do? We end up going there. And we end up doing it. We, or we say to ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. And then 10 minutes later, what do we do? We lose our temper. Where we say, you know what? I'm not going to look at this website anymore. And then three days later, we find ourselves back again. We say, we say to ourselves, I don't want to judge people anymore. But then all of a sudden, a new person comes up and our judger just starts working all over again. It's the things that we don't want to do, we end up doing. It's, it's called slavery. We're slaves to sin. So this is the problem, and it creates separation. But what's the solution? The solution is this. It's a word that the Scripture talks about. It's called redemption. Redemption. And this is a beautiful word because it's a word that's used to describe the payment that's made in the slave market, that there would be a redemption price, a price that was paid so that a slave could be set free. And Jesus is our Redeemer. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be set free. So that we could be set free from the slave market of sin. That slavery is now broken because of what Jesus has done. He paid the price. But then we still got the sin problem. What do we do about that? That's the word that's used in the Bible. It's called justification. And that's a long word, but basically what it means is that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we could be made right with God. That our sin separates, but because of the work of Christ, He paid the penalty, He paid the price so that we could be brought back into a relationship with God. We could be justified, be made right before God. Not justified by our own works, us trying to do things, but justified by the work of Christ. This is, this is what Jesus has done. 
And of course, because of justification, we can be made right with God, which opens the door for us to be brought back into his family, which is the word adoption, right? Where we can be now brought back into a relationship with God. We can be sons and daughters, no longer alienated because of our own actions. Now through Christ and his action, we can be brought back into the family of God. Adopted, heirs, family. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's opened the door. And I got to be honest with you. Jesus has opened the door. And you may be saying to yourself, well, how do I know all this is true? Well, that's where the resurrection comes in. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we know all of this is trustworthy and true. We know because of the power of the resurrection that Jesus paid the price for our redemption. He paid the price for our uh, justification and that he made it possible for us to be brought back into his family and adopted. And it's, it, that's all achieved because of the resurrection. We have hope because of the resurrection. It helps us recognize Jesus did what he said he would do. And he has the power to overcome death and sin and the grave, all these things that are fears for us. He has that power. And it's all through the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, people are not putting, um, you do not hear people over the last 2,000 years, you do not hear people saying, the stock market has risen. It's risen indeed, right? (laughs) Bitcoin has risen. It's risen indeed. People are not shouting out, non-greenhouse gases have risen. They've risen indeed. People are not anchoring their life to the fact that, hey, the gross national product has risen. It's risen indeed. No, people aren't saying that. The anchor that we have is the fact that Jesus rose. He defeated our greatest enemy. And we have hope not just for now, but for eternal life, but because of what Jesus has done, not just in his death, but through his resurrection. That's why we have hope. The question is, what are we anchoring ourselves to? And can we anchor ourselves to Jesus, who offers real, true, and substantial hope? He opens the door for us to be brought back into right relationship with God. And I'll just be honest with you. I got I to gotta tell you the truth. Jesus has opened the door, but it's up to you to walk through it. He's not going to force you through. But it's up to you to say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about how great you are. It's about the work of Christ and saying, I put my faith there. His death and resurrection, that's how we get through the door. We don't get to the door and say, well, here I am, you lucky God. You know what I mean? That's not what we're doing. We come to the door and say, God, really me? Jesus, you, you, you want me to come through this door? After all that I've done, after all that you know about me. And Jesus is like, yes, I want you. So badly that I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And guess what? I defeated death. I defeated the grave. And so guess what? You can have hope uncertainty of a future with me for eternity. This is good news. So the question is, what are you anchoring your life in? I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, 
if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to go with whatever he says. Listen, Jesus says, I love you. Listen to his words. I love you so much. I sent my son to die on the cross for you so that you could be forgiven. You could be redeemed. You can be brought back into my family and have eternal life with me. Those are the words of Jesus. The question is, how will you respond? And so I want to take a moment and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. When I teach the scripture, I also want to stop and pray because that prayer time is an opportunity for you personally to respond because when we hear God's word at some level, we all have to respond to it. And so let's take a moment to pause in God's presence and pray together. Go ahead. Let's come before the Lord. Right now, if you're here, just you and God, and if you are a follower of Christ, this is a moment for you to rejoice again that God has made a way for you to be brought into his family. This is a moment for you to just rejoice in the resurrection and to thank God that he has set you free from slavery, that he's redeemed you, made you right with God, not because of who you are and how great you are, but because of how good and great he is and to give him thanks. Some of you are here and you're not yet followers of Jesus Christ. This is also maybe a moment for you to pause and to say, yeah, maybe there's some things that I, I don't fully get. But it's okay for you to tell God that. To say, God, I don't understand it all. I'm not sure I get it all. Just let him know. He says, come and see. He invites you to investigate. And so maybe today is your moment to say, God, I do want to investigate you. You know, I've heard about you. I've even witnessed other people's faith in you, but it's time for me to take it seriously for myself personally. And now is a moment for you to say, God, I want to personally investigate you. And maybe you're a little, little bit farther along and you're at a spot when it comes to God where you just say, yeah, it's time for me not to investigate any longer, but to bow a knee. And this is a moment for you to say, God, I've been putting my hope in lots of other things other than you. And today, I want to put my hope in you and you alone. Listen, you pray that prayer. You say, Lord, I put my hope in you, my trust in you, what you've done for me. Listen, he'll respond. He'll meet you. He'll offer you forgiveness and life. God, we do come before you and we thank you for all that you have done for us. And we thank you that through the resurrection we can have hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. We thank you again as we worship and respond to you in gratitude for all that you are and all that you've done. In your name, amen.